Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside John Adams. We've got our final two in the national championship, and it comes as something of a surprise. TCU, the Cinderella story continues, upsets Michigan, and Georgia was on the brink. Ohio State just needed to land one more punch, and Georgia would have been knocked out. Ohio State couldn't do it. Georgia survives. And now those teams will meet Monday in California. Two semifinal games decided by one possession. John came down to the very end. We've never had that in a year of the college football playoff. This is the ninth year of the four-team playoff. There's been some years where we've had one good semifinal. We've never had it to where both games were decided right at the end. Um what did you think about that, and, and did that give you any pause toward playoff expansion? Because I wrote a column and said, as, as good as this was, and, and it was, I mean, it was fantastic. It's what the playoff, I think we all hoped it would be for the first eight years and wasn't in the semifinals. I, I wrote as good as it was. It, it does not tamp down my interest in playoff expansion. Of course, the 12-team playoff is coming in 2024. I, I think I think that's better. You know, bring on more upsets. Bring on more drama. Um you know, let's see Tulane not just win the Cotton Bowl, but let's see if Tulane can win a first-round playoff game. So I, my appetite is still high for the expanded playoff. What did you think of what you saw, and, and did it make you think, huh, maybe this four-team playoff thing isn't so bad after all? Well, one of the things that impressed me, and and I watch so much college football, and, and I watched a lot of these meaningless bowl games, so-called meaningless bowl games, but – when you go into the playoff game, I mean, it's just different. You go in as a viewer with a different attitude, with a higher expectation. I, I mean, you know, if I miss the first five minutes of those other bowl games, who cares? Unless I'm covering it. I mean, it doesn't really it, – it, there's, no, there's no sense of urgency or anticipation about those games but there was about the semifinal games. Even though those were decent-sized spreads, it's not like either the game was predicted to be a toss-up or a one-to-two-point game. Uh, Michigan, a solid favorite, and Georgia was favorite, I think, about maybe as much as seven, and the line dropped toward the end to five or so. But it was, uh, it, it was just... Uh, the games match the anticipation, and you don't see that happen a lot. That's what you would want. To me, it was about if you were doing a commercial for college football, that's what you'd put out there were those two games, each one full of so many twists and turns and so many <laughs> so many climactic moments when you think, well, this will finish it. This will decide it. Nope. That's coming up next. I mean, then you're waiting for the, 
you're waiting for the ball to drop to to take us into 2023 and Ohio State is kicking for the championship. Honestly, it was like a movie production, those two games and the way they played out. And, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Anybody that likes football had to just love those two games. You know, in, in our line of work, John, and, and really even just the common fan, we all search for the narrative after games like this. And, and I was, you know, kind of thinking about that after the Georgia game. You know, what, what is the what is the truest narrative of that game? One thing I heard from some corners and didn't buy at all was hooray, hooray, Ohio State. They were expected to get blown out and, and they didn't. Well, I mean, who was saying that? Like Ohio State was a six and a half point favorite. I, I wasn't surprised this was a competitive game. We expected a competitive game. I, I think I said on this podcast last week, I like Georgia by a touchdown. Um, you liked it even closer than that. You picked Ohio State to cover the six and a half point spread. So no, I wasn't going to hand out uh, an endless supply of, of kudos just because Ohio State didn't didn't get trounced and, and played hard. Um, so for me, my narrative was like, this was the Ohio State that was supposed to be this season. Like we, how, how easily we forget you know, coming into the year, the two favorites to reach the national championship were Alabama and Ohio State. Like, this is what Ohio State was supposed to be, and for three quarters it was. Ryan Day had his team prepared. C.J. Stroud played as well as I've ever seen it. Marvin Harrison proved he's the best wide receiver in college football. And then I thought two things happened. John, I'm curious whether you agree. Um, I thought the biggest play of the game was near the end of the third quarter, when Javad Bullard put a put a hit on Marvin Harrison Jr. at the officials determined wasn't targeting. I didn't have a problem with that call. It, w- it was a hard hit. Um, it needed to be a hard hit in that moment. I didn't I didn't think it was definitively targeting helmet to helmet. I, I thought I was okay with the no call, but it knocked Harrison out of the game. And Ohio State's offense was not the same without him. So I thought that was number one. And number two. I thought Kirby Smart outcoached Ryan Day in the fourth quarter. I thought Ohio State got passive in the fourth quarter. Um, that final scoring drive for Georgia, where they took the lead on Stetson Bennett's touchdown pass, uh, Ohio State brought three or four pass rushers on every play of that drive. That's it. They dropped seven or eight every play. And all night, they'd been flustering Bennett with pressure. I thought they needed to bring pressure. They didn't. Um, I thought Kirby Smart you know, was good to snuff out that, that fake punt save the game. Um, I don't have any idea why Ryan Day was calling a, a run play on first down there from the 31-yard line. Like, C.J. Stroud had marched him down the field, ride the hot hand, go with your guy, try to get closer, try to get a touchdown, take it off the foot of your kicker. Um, and then I thought Kirby dialed up some good some good blitzes on those final two defensive plays that, um, that flustered Stroud and resulted in a long field goal. So that, to me, was the takeaway narrative. Ohio State played the way it should have been um, – playing it, it played up to its preseason billing cj stroud was excellent uh but ohio state really missed marvin harrison in the fourth quarter and i thought kirby smart clearly outcoached ryan day in the fourth quarter yeah I, i'm pretty much with you on those blake uh it also reminds us how you have to be a little lucky to win championships or even to get to championship games sometimes uh go back to last year's championship game when alabama is playing George and Alabama loses its star wide receiver early in the game. I, I mean, it's it was already it was already very thin at that position when he went out. 
I thought it changed everything for Alabama. I'm not saying Georgia still couldn't have won the game, but it became a different kind of game, and Alabama was very limited, and we just saw how unreliable a lot of those young receivers were for Alabama. And in this game, I mean, Marvin Harrison Jr. is a big-time player. And when he went out, again, that Georgia's defense, when you're playing against somebody like that, everything is geared. What are we going to do to stop him? It's just like when Bill Belichick of the Patriots goes into a game, his whole his whole emphasis is how do we take away what they do best? Well, what Ohio State does best is throw the ball to Marvin Harrison Jr. And uh, through happenstance, Georgia took that away. So, yeah, and and I think Kirby has become the best coach in college football. I mean, right now. No, he hasn't surpassed Nick Saban. I don't mean that, but I just mean right now who's the hottest coach, it's Kirby Smart. And uh, I, I've i got where when I'm looking the final minutes of a game, Blake, and we've always – I think people have always dreaded to prevent defense. But teams don't have to be in a prevent defense. They can be in a not-as-aggressive defense. If you have pestered a quarterback for an entire game, is Ohio State pretty much had, and it kind of gotten Stetson Bennett off his game. He had a lot of yards, but he wasn't he wasn't operating at the same high level of fit, of efficiency that he often does. But man, when you back off, you just can't do it. It's the same way. I hate seeing on a hail mary when a team rushes two or three guys and say, "Well, we'll just cover everything big deep." No. Make it hard on the guy. Don't let the guy just wind up and throw. Uh, and so I thought, you know, in Ohio State's possession, last possession, Georgia didn't blitz right away. As it got closer to field goal range, then they started blitzing. You just, in today's game, you have got to be aggressive all the time on both sides is the way I see it. There's some rare times where, okay, you need to be a little conservative here, but for the most part, you got to get after it. Yeah, I, I would have went for fourth down, John, on that fourth and one from the 34-yard line where Ohio State had the fake punt dialed up. Kirby snuffed out the fishy formation. You know, it was a it was a special formation they used for the fake. He called a timeout right before the snap. Ohio State was up by two possessions, but you could feel like I, I don't know. I just had a feeling at the time, like, uh, you better put Georgia away or this thing's going to swing. And I thought if you would have moved the chains there, um, you know, got some more points or, or at the very least moved the chains, gone on a long drive, pin Georgia deep, take more time off the clock. I thought Ohio State maybe could have put it, the, put it away. I thought it should have tried to put it away with the ball in CJ Stroud's hands. So just because they sniffed out your fake, I would have come out of that, that timeout with my best get me one yard play. That's what they needed. They needed they needed one yard. Um, and you got a guy who was playing at quarterback as well as we've seen really anybody play in a single game this year. CJ Stroud was fantastic. I would have left my offense on the field and and gone for it. Now, I'm sure we would have been criticizing Ryan Day if he did that and, and didn't work. But <laughs> yeah, I, I really thought that was the play there. And and you know, no one play determined this really. You know, you could point to the field goal, I guess, the fifty yarder that wasn't within a country mile of the goalposts. 
Um, but still, there were several moments where Ohio State, I thought, could have landed the knockout, and I thought that fourth and one was was an opportunity. And they played so aggressively for three quarters, and I thought, here it is, fourth quarter, stay aggressive, get the first down, run some more clock, move the chains, try to get some points, and put this thing away. Yeah, I thought I, – I, we. I, if I'm looking at that game, and I'm getting ready to give the ball back to Georgia – if you hadn't figured it out by now, you're you're not paying close enough attention because Stetson Bennett has a Tom Brady-like quality to his game. He has the ability to raise his level of play when the game is on the line, when the game in the game's biggest moments. No, he's not going to be an NFL quarterback. No, he's undersized and all that. But honestly, if I'm Ryan Day, I don't want to put this game in Stetson Bennett's hands. And I think to me, and maybe I'm the only one looking at it that way, because everything about Georgia the last two years has been about its defense and all this. But we have seen this year, and we saw in last year's playoffs, the star of the game was Stetson Bennett. And in that game, even though he didn't play great, what faltered? It wasn't the quarterback. He wasn't the guy. He wasn't the guy that he was as he was first portrayed when he started as Georgia. Well, he's along for the ride. The defense is driving the bus. Stetson's sitting back there in the backs taking a nap. He's just along for the ride. No, he was overcoming his own defense. He was making up for all the wrongs his defense committed against Ohio State's great offense, and he did. I would not have wanted to give Stetson Bennett the ball back and once again give him the chance to prove that I belong in this kind of game. I don't care if I was a walk-on once or junior college transfer once. I'm a big-time quarterback, and I can handle this. And he did. And on the flip side of this, you know, throughout most of the season, we talked about how Georgia's defense – Okay, maybe it's not as 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 historically great as last year's unit, but this is still a a really loaded defense, great secondary, et cetera. Well, I mean, all this praise, you know, for Kirby Smart and Stetson Bennett's fourth quarter rally, yeah, that's all deserved. But <laughs> we can't ignore the fact that Ohio State hung forty one uh, on, on Georgia, and in the SEC championship, I know some of it came in garbage time, yes, but unless you move the ball against Georgia. Uh, and you know, they, it, it wasn't just, you know, third stringers out there and some of those second half touchdowns for LSU. And now Georgia plays a team in TCU, uh, that that's coming off of hanging 51 on Michigan, Michigan, um, you know, supposedly supposed to have a really good defense like Georgia. Well, it didn't look the part against TCU. It, is there any threat here that, that Georgia's running out of gas, either, you know, the burden of trying to repeat, um, you know, taking taking the beating of an SEC schedule. I know it wasn't the toughest schedule as as some other teams played, um, but still, you know, you're playing in the SEC. They opened against Oregon. Again, you have the you have the constant dialogue about repeating. Uh, every time you go into the press conferences, there's those questions: Can you can you win another one? Are we seeing Georgia maybe going on fumes here, or? Is this the reality that the two best teams in the country were playing each other and we just didn't know it because Ohio State had a terrible fourth quarter against Michigan? Well, I don't know if it's running on fumes, 
but it's not running the way it did earlier in this season. It's not running as well as it did last season. And you look at Jalen Carter, the middle of that defense, the guys, some people tout him as the number one draft pick. (laughs) He's not my number one draft pick. I love watching him throughout his career. But in that game, it seems like he was already trying to, he couldn't catch his breath. It seemed like once the first play was run, he was struggling to get enough air. Uh, And that to me was sort of typified, typified the Georgia defense overall. When you get in these kind of games with great offenses, and all these four teams have really good offenses, you get in these kind of games, you can't stick out on stonewalling an opposing offense. What you have to do, though, is to be able to make the crucial stop, the crucial play, to make a third down stop, or do what TCU did, two interception returns for touchdowns. See, Georgia... Georgia's going to need some of that against TCU. The the lines, opening lines I've seen, I don't know if it's changed. I, I think it was 13, 13 and a half points. Georgia's a 13 and a half point favorite. Watching those two games last Saturday, I wouldn't give TCU 13 points against anybody. Well, that's a great segue, John. Let's go ahead and make our pick before we kind of offer our impressions of what else we saw from the SEC elsewhere in this bowl season. Normally we save our picks for the end, but this will kind of tie a bow on our our discussion of the uh, Georgia and the national championship game. And you're right, Georgia's a 13-and-a-half-point favorite. You've locked up the picks title for the season, John. You went 6-4 and in our bowl picks last week. You had three games that were different than mine. We flipped on three picks. You got them all. You trounced me. It's over. I'm licking my wounds. I went three and seven in our against the spread bowl picks last week. Well, and you finished with, well, I mean, we still got one game to go here, but you got a four game lead on me going into the national championship. I'm too embarrassed to tell folks our records. We're both still a far cry from 500. Um, the bookies are banging down our doors. Um, they don't pay us enough to cover these gambling, gambling bets that, that we got. Um, so it is what it is, but you did beat me. You're, you got a four-game well, lead. You're playing with house money now going into this final one. Well, uh, Blake, I don't, I don't play against you or play against the competition. I play to a standard. Mm-hmm. That's what I built my career on, and I didn't reach that standard, as you pointed out. That us playing down the stretch, battling it out to see who'd have the best picks record was kind of like, like watching Vanderbilt and Missouri slug it out. You know, Missouri and of, Auburn, my favorite yeah, game of Auburn, the season. Yeah, Auburn, Missouri. So one of those games where they're both awful, but some, somebody's going to win it. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, it's nothing. Uh, was nothing glorious. I predict we'll both do better next year. I think that's right. It'd be hard to do worse. I'm going to take TCU and the 13 and a half points. You've indicated you will you will do the same. We'll both yes. log our our votes for TCU to cover, but Georgia to win. Is that correct? <coughs> yes. That's, I, I would, who knows what will happen in the game, but from everything I've seen, and you talk about teams running, you're talking about Georgia's that kind of running on fumes now. Look at TCU, all the close games it's had, all the adrenaline rushes it's taken to, to pull out games. And, and it only lost to, to Kansas state in another great game in the, conference championship game, but they've done it so many times. I just don't see TCU 
unraveling it against anybody. It may lose, and I think it will lose the game, but I don't see it collapsing. Changing gears, John, looking uh, for, through a broader lens here at the SEC, sort of a mixed bag from the conference, I, I thought. I mean, on the high end, you have Bryce Young and Will Anderson going out in style, Alabama beating Kansas State in the Sugar Bowl. You had Tennessee capping um, really a mar- remarkable season in just year two for Josh Heupel with the Vols. They go 11-2, and two, beat Clemson in the Orange Bowl. LSU looked fantastic, beat Purdue like a drum. I know Purdue was without its quarterback, Aiden O'Connell, but hey, I mean, scoring 60-plus points against a Big Ten team in a bowl game, that uh, I really think that raises the expectation for LSU going into next year. They are going to be a load, I think, in 2023. But then there was the flip side of that. Um, you know, Florida got trounced without Anthony Richardson. Missouri loses. Um, Ole Miss loses. Mississippi State won one, you know, in kind of a tribute game for Mike Leach with new coach Zach Arnett. South Carolina loses to, to, to Notre Dame. Arkansas wins a thriller against Kansas. I mean, what, what was your overall impression of the conference in, in this bowl season? Well, uh, I was wrong on most of the games, honestly. I mean, I, well, I came out six and four, but it just seemed um, some of those teams played much worse than I thought they would. Some played better. I Florida was just horrible against Oregon State. Uh, that was a really bad look for a first-year coach to go six and seven and finish a season the way he did. It's going to bring heat next year. Uh, but one thing that struck me, Blake, was toward the end of the season, some of these coaches may have other opportunities. We see Mark Stoops of Kentucky get a huge raise. Saw Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, rumored strongly to be going to Auburn. Saw him get a big boost in in pay. And then we saw, shockingly almost, we saw Eli Drinkowitz getting a, a jump to $6 million for what? I have no idea. Uh, but anyway, those teams in the bowl games, they did not make those decisions, those financial decisions, look very sound. It was kind of like – giving your money to Bernie Madoff. It was just, uh, you know, they look really bad. Kentucky was just, I don't know if you watched any of that Iowa-Kentucky game. No, I was in the airport on a delayed flight there, and I could only get really one screen going, so I committed to the Sugar Bowl because I I, I saw some moments of the first quarter of that Iowa-Kentucky game, and I thought I'm not going to subject myself to any more to this. So I, I, I pivoted to the Sugar Bowl. Well, that was a wise move, and I watched most of the Sugar Bowl and do give Alabama a lot of credit. I give Bryce Young a lot of credit, Will Anderson a lot of credit. They're two higher draft picks playing in that game. And Alabama, because I thought Kansas State was a really good team, and I thought it really was fired up and came into that game. A victory over Alabama meant tremendous things for that program. Yet Alabama took took the first blow fell behind 10 nothing and just took over the game. That was really the Alabama team I thought we would see going into the season. That was a playoff team that beat Kansas State the way Alabama did. And, yeah, and then flip over to that. Honestly, when I'd flip it over to that Iowa game on a commercial, I'd flip it over to Iowa and Kentucky, it was like I went, I went back to the 1950s. 
Yeah. Going from high definition to standard definition. Yeah, it's a little black and white TV. I almost needed binoculars to watch it. And it was just, nothing's going on here. And it was just, you know, it was so tedious. And, and offense suddenly became so challenging in that game. It was, re- it was really uh, uh, a throwback game. Yeah, I thought it confirmed Kentucky's status as one of the biggest busts in the SEC this year. I mean, this was a year with higher expectations than usual. Mark Stoops mm-hmm. was doing nothing to tamp those down. Uh, he was getting into little spats on the internet with with John Calipari, <laughs> getting getting cued on Twitter, um, and it backfired. Kentucky, you know, didn't live up to the didn't live up to the hype this year. Uh, much like Texas A and M did not in in the SEC West. Uh, Auburn was was terrible, but you know, they were expected to be pretty bad and, and they were, I mean, those are some of the bigger busts in the conference on the flip side of that. I mean, Tennessee and LSU, I thought cemented their place as, um, to, to maybe the, the teams that over, over exceeded expectations, um, the most, or I guess exceeded them if you can over exceed, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's they, our they, podcast. We yeah, it's our it. podcast. We just make up words as we go. Right. <laughs> but, you know, going into next year now, the bowl game can shape your perception of a program probably more than it should. I mean, I think back to a year ago, Mississippi State looked terrible against Texas Tech in its bowl game, and you thought, oh, you know, is this as good as it as good as it's going to get for Mississippi State? Well, no, they came back this year and and went nine and four, and I thought had a really strong, gritty season. Defense was was really good for most of the year. Um, you know, so we can make too much of these bowl games. That that bowl loss to Texas Tech in the end really didn't tell us much of anything about Mississippi State going forward. And yet, it is hard to ignore. We we still try to draw narratives out of this. And I and I thought the way LSU played and the way Tennessee played, when I project forward, I think, okay, LSU under Brian Kelly and Tennessee under Josh Heupel, they're not going to be flash in the pan. They they're going to have staying power. And, and frankly, John, I think if you look right now on paper, what LSU brings back as compared to what Alabama brings back, if I were to log my vote in early January, I would pick LSU to win the SEC West next year and not Alabama, uh, which would be the first time since 2012, if that comes to pass, that the media would pick someone other than Alabama to win the West. Every, every year since 2012, the media has picked Alabama to win the West. They usually pick them to win the conference overall. Um, and who knows what will happen come media days. But if I if I were handed my ballot right now and told I had to vote now, I'd pick LSU to repeat as the winner in the West. They bring back more um, more proven answers, I think, than what, what Alabama does. I agree. I, I definitely would pick LSU. And, I, and, and one thing, I always look at star power with these teams, and Alabama has a lot of it in many seasons. But I think two of the best players in – could be two of the best players in the country next year. Could be LSU linebacker Harold Perkins, who was great as a freshman this year. Didn't miss a beat going from high school to college. And also wide receiver Malik Neighbors. I mean, those guys are two of the best players in the country, maybe. And they both play for LSU. So, I, yeah, I think LSU will be really good next year. John, you mentioned that Billy Napier is going to enter year two with some pressure on him. Um, do you, do you see anybody else around the conference, uh, who, I don't know if I want to use the word hot seat. Um, are we, are we putting guys on the hot seat 
in in January. I guess I wouldn't put it past us. Uh, as you say, it's it's our podcast. But let's let's remove the hot seat label and broaden out a little bit of you know guys who are facing some some heightened pressure. Uh, let's say going into next season, based on the fact of of the way they they left things at at the end of this year. I mean, I, you you pointed to Florida going into year two under Billy Napier. I think that's a that's a good read. Um, you, you don't you don't perform better than this six and se- seven season. What Florida did this year, the the natives are going to start getting restless. And 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 I'm one that I've said I'm not surprised Florida went six and seven. I, I thought Billy Napier inherited a really tough situation, but. That doesn't matter. That's Florida. There's expectations with that program. And by year two, you know, this is a what have you done for me lately business now. You got you got to get it going. Um, so they would headline the list. But anybody else you look at, John, uh, and think, OK, you're facing some heightened expectations here. You, you got to get this thing going. Yeah, I think Jimbo Fisher, he was kind of on the hot seat this year. And he might have been gone if he didn't have such an outrageous buyout. I think he'll go into next season with even more pressure. And at some point, Texas A&M is going to say, if you can't do better, we're going to, get to have to get it somebody else, no matter how much, it, how much it costs. And I think Billy Napier has got himself in a bad position, too. I'm glad you mentioned Jimbo there, John, as I was going on and on about <laughs> Billy Napier. It's like I kind of forgot – Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M existed. That's how bad this season was for the Aggies, but agreed. I, I, at some point, that buyout's not going to protect him longer. Texas A&M's just not going to put up with this forever. They're, you you, you got to win ball games, or they'll pass the hat. I, I really believe that. Um, but we're down to one team in the SEC still standing. No, no all-SEC final this year. No all-Big Ten final this year. Nobody from the Big Ten in the final. It'll be Georgia against TCU and the national championship. Georgia will try to become the first team in college football to repeat as champions since Alabama and did it in 2011 and 2012. And John and I will be back with you to discuss next week. Thanks for listening to this edition of SEC Football Unfiltered. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.